Father, thank you so much for your word. It is your word. You speak through this book. Your spirit is active and changing us and showing us Christ. And Lord, we just want to say thank you. We also want to come as your children and ask that you would help us to be completely submissive to the authority of your word. If there is one area in our life where we're standing up and saying we want to be king, God, rip that area away from us, force us to our knee. Uh, Jesus, you are our good, kind, wise, sovereign Lord, and we want to honor you with everything we have. And please use today to help us take steps forward in that as individuals and as a church. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, right, it was great to pray together last week. That was one of my favorite uh, times, and uh, looking forward to doing that again next month, at the beginning of next month. Someone suggested that if we uh, could maybe figure out a way to put together a, a Google form or something, uh, I don't know if that's even a word, Google Sheets, where they uh, make a, a document where like people could upload their prayer requests or uh, even things that they're thankful for, and then when I go to pray in the morning or you go to pray in the morning, you could always look at that sheet and be like, oh, yeah, there's somebody from the church that needs prayer in this area or this is something the Lord's doing in someone's life. And then at uh, the month when we gather together as a church, we could hear a little bit about how God is answering those prayer requests. If anybody knows the difference between a Google form and a Google sheet, if there is such a thing as a Google form, um, you're probably the guy that would be good to talk to and help me do something like that if you think it's a good idea. But we're uh, talking transformation groups again today. We're getting towards the end, actually, of doing this. Uh, Isaiah's putting together a great idea for the next series in Equipping Hour, uh, but uh, that will be in a few weeks now. For now, we're continuing to talk about uh, transformation groups, but at the same time, we're talking about something more than just transformation groups. I have this uh, app, this running app, uh, and the coach on this running app, he's always giving advice. He really talks a lot as you're running. And uh, one of the things that he likes to say is, I'm talking about running, and I'm not talking about running. And that he, he tries to make it sound like he's saying something really profound when he says that. And every once in a while he is, and a lot of the time he's not. But uh, we are talking about transformation groups, and we're not talking about transformation groups. Really, I just want to help us develop a profitable biblical friendships and to, to learn how to be or just to grow in our ability to be really good biblical friends to one another. And it's been a while, but the last time we were together, we talked about correction. And uh, this time, uh, last time we talked more about how to give correction. And this time I want to talk more about how to take correction. And by uh, correction, I mean pointing out to someone that they've fallen short of a standard. And I don't, uh, or having someone point out to you that uh, you've fallen short of a standard. And I don't know which is easier or harder for you. Are you, uh, is it easier for you to take correction or is it easier for you to give correction? Um, but both are important. A correction and a cor correcting someone else and being corrected are, they're normal parts of biblical friendships. And they should eventually be a normal part of our transformation groups to be a place where correction is happening. But uh, both are areas where most of us need help. Most of us need help uh, learning how to take correction, and uh, most of us need help 
knowing how to give correction because there are some really wrong ways to give correction and there definitely also are some really wrong ways to receive correction. I think about that almost every time I read the book of Proverbs because Proverbs is a book that God gave us to help us learn how to live in a way that's wise, in a way that makes sense, in a way that is good for us and honors God. It is a book that is designed to help us learn to live life well. It's supposed to help us get good at living life. And one of the things it talks about the most are uh, wrong ways of taking correction. For example, I'll just walk through some wrong ways that Proverbs points out of receiving correction. Uh, My kids like um, Dude Perfect, and it's a YouTube show, and on Dude Perfect they often have these stereotypes. And uh, some of these are almost stereotypes from the book of Proverbs of wrong ways to take correction. Uh, For example, there's the avoider. And I don't know which one of these will be you, but these are wrong ways to receive correction. This is someone who's maybe not openly antagonistic to correction. He just makes sure to stay away from it and, and not to seek it out and to put people who might correct him at a distance. Proverbs 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 32. And you'll have to have your Bible open. Just open it up to the book of Proverbs because we're going to look at a lot of Proverbs. But Proverbs 15.32 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So uh, Proverbs, they're parallel. So ignoring instruction is being the kind of person who doesn't listen to reproof. So whoever ignores instruction, he doesn't listen to reproof. He doesn't, he stays away from it. He's a person who hates himself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And so there are people who try to keep anyone who might actually poke around in their life at a distance. They isolate themselves. And the book of Proverbs says that's not just wrong, that is stupid. That is a stupid way to live life. And people do it in all kinds of different ways. Um, They avoid correction. But often this is someone who will only let people into their lives who they know will agree with them. So their closest friends are the people who are easiest on them. And they kind of have a don't ask, don't tell policy. I won't say anything to you, and you don't say anything to me, and we'll all just get along. That is a wrong way to respond to correction. Another wrong way is the attacker. There's the avoider, there's the attacker. And you can find uh, this one in different parts of Proverbs, but Proverbs 9, 7 to 9 is an example. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. And that word abuse, this is someone who gets upset at people who say they're sinning and really ends up trying to hurt the person who is trying to correct them. And, of course, people do that in different ways. So some people get physical. Uh, They literally come at someone. And you see this even when it comes down to someone correcting someone else's driving, right? Have you ever seen that? 
They never met the person. They get corrected, and all of a sudden, it's like there's a fight. It's, it's amazing how angry someone can become in a moment from correction. And those aren't just like theoretical people out there. Those are like real people. <laughs> Others don't get physical, uh, but they, they belittle. They insult. Proverbs 17, chapter 17, verse 12 says, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. So if you have a choice to meet a mama bear who's like cubs just got stolen or a fool who is in his folly and, and is the kind of person that you would need to correct, choose the mama bear. Like that's who you want to meet. Because a, a foolish person who wants to do foolish things is very dangerous, especially when you go to correct them. Um, now, obviously, some people are a little mild, uh, mildle, milder in that they don't, um, they, they're, they're, they're at least a little socially aware, and so they know they can't just come at you physically with their fists, uh, and they know they can't just, you know, directly insult you. But instead, they, the way they do it is they tease you. Uh, so you never hear the end of it if you correct them. I pastored in a church when I was a young pastor. Uh, there was someone in my congregation who made a, a lot of jokes about Puerto Ricans, actually. I don't know if it's an East Coast thing where you joke about people's ethnicity. I don't hear it out here in California as much, but they, t they did it a lot back there. Uh, uh, and I confronted him about it. He was an older man. I was like 26, and he was like 67, so it was a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Uh, but I confronted him about it, and he took it. But then he started joking about me confronting him about joking about Puerto Ricans instead. He'd be like, oh, I would say this joke, but Josh doesn't like jokes about Puerto Ricans. So uh, there are people who avoid. There are people who attack. A third wrong way is the overtalker. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. And this is one you find coming up in Proverbs a lot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And I love that word, babble. Um, sometimes when you correct someone, they will just overwhelm you with words. And so they don't argue or insult as much. They just distract you. Um, and they distract you from the actual issue that you're trying to confront them about by talking so much and taking the conversation in like a million different directions that you can't really remember what you were correcting them about in the first place. And you have to stay so on task to, to be able to keep focused on the issue at hand. You see this sometimes with couples and they're, they, they're coming for counseling and they're, you're trying to talk to them about an issue and maybe the, or maybe the wife is even confronting the husband about the sin and then all of a sudden they're debating about whether that sin happened on the Tuesday or Wednesday. And they've gotten, they're just like going on and on and on. No, it's Tuesday. No, it's Wednesday. No, it's Tuesday. No, it's Wednesday. And it's like, wow, we are like so far from the actual issue. And that can be a tactic as well. You know, there are people who don't want to change, but they do want to look like they want to change. And so when they're being corrected, instead of really listening, what they do is they take over the conversation and they just start going on and on about their own opinions. Proverbs 18, verse 2, it, it's a, this is a, a similar wrong response to the talker, the overtalker, is the know-it-all. And this really flows out of Proverbs 18, verse 2. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. 
And so this is the person who, who the conversation is not really about figuring out what's going on. It's just like a chance for me to, to share how much I know. And uh, there are some people who they kind of project an air of intimidation. So it's not just that they start talking so much when they're corrected, but they try to, whether they do it um, consciously or not, I don't know, but it's like they try to intimidate others so that those people won't ever correct them by acting like they're so much smarter than everybody else. Proverbs talks about haughty eyes, so that's like literally a look. You can see this person is haughty even from the way they look. And so the way they speak, their tone of voice, it's all designed to keep people out. I think of it when you go to correct someone, it's like you have to go into their house and you kind of have to say some uncomfortable things in their kitchen, if you know what I'm saying. And there are some people who keep the door shut and locked. And so like, you, you, you gotta find a way to get in and you're gonna have to go in through the window because like, they, that door is locked. And even more, there are other people who are like, they've got signs on their fence, keep out, and they live a life where they basically shoot anybody who walks in, and so they just don't get corrected much because there aren't that many people who are willing to get shot at to get into their house so they can talk about it. And, uh, and they're afraid of them. Then there's the denier. These are people who don't acknowledge sin, actually. Proverbs 10, uh, verse 23 says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So you correct these people, Proverbs 10, 23, and they don't take it seriously because they don't take sin seriously. So they're just like, this is funny what you're talking about, or they make what you're talking about into some kind of joke. The avoider, the attacker, the talker, the know-it-all, the denier, and then there's the blamer, and this is what Adam and Eve did. You correct them, and they blame someone else or something else. Uh, the big talk, do nothing response is another wrong response. So this is the person who agrees with you and is just like, that is really bad. I can't believe how bad what I did was. Oh, so bad. And, and then, like, they're not willing to do anything different. And sometimes it's because they're proud, and sometimes it's because they're lazy. And sometimes, this is a really an insight in Proverbs that I had never seen before, sometimes laziness is connected to pride actually. You don't normally think about it like that, at least I don't, but sometimes laziness is connected to pride. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard, the lazy person, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And I think that's such an interesting connection. The lazy person doesn't always look proud, but sometimes that's what's at the root. You correct them, they say they agree, but they don't change, and it's because they're actually lazy, and they're lazy because they think they know better. Uh, they like this life better than the one you're suggesting. The defender is similar to the blamer, but this is Proverbs 26, 11, and, and 12. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for the fool than for him. And so this guy keeps doing the wrong things, but he, 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 he keeps doing the wrong things because he thinks he knows better. And one way this shows up in other places in Proverbs is that he won't listen when he's corrected and instead he spends the whole time uh, defending himself. And so uh, every time you try to correct this person, it's like he suddenly becomes a lawyer. And you're like in a court case. And you're like, wow, uh, I didn't know I'd have to bring like a whole um, like 
defense. I was just trying to talk to you about this one specific issue. And when did it happen? What was I looking like when it happened? Did you, you know, remember the, the you know, the name of my aunt's cousin? Uh, you're like, I, I don't have all that information. I was just trying to talk to you about this one thing here. You're like, well, no, you're gonna have to bring back a better case than this. This is not gonna make it. The defender. Then there is the overreactor. And I don't have a great proverb for this one. Uh, maybe Proverbs 18, 19. Um, this is maybe more just observation, but. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the, bar, uh, the bars of a castle. And so you correct this person, and they take it so personally, and they shut down, and they start arguing, and so even small suggestions become this huge conflict. And so you're like, uh, maybe next time you could try this, and they're like, how dare you say that? How dare you say I always do this? And I'm the worst person there ever was. I can't believe how terrible I am. And you're like, oh, I, I just was saying maybe this next time you could try something different. Like, oh, I know, I, I'm awful. You're like, oh, I don't mean that you're awful. I mean, we're all awful, but like, I just mean like this is a way that you could respond better next time. Oh. And then it's just like, and you think, maybe next time I won't say anything, which is a good tactic, right? It's a good tactic if you don't want to be corrected. Um, another wrong response to correction is the dreamer. Proverbs 17:24 nails this guy. It says, "The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth." And so here this guy needs correction. His life isn't going well, but instead of taking correction when it's in front of him and wanting to learn wisdom, he puts his eyes on the ends of the earth. He puts his eyes on changing his circumstances and going somewhere and doing something totally different. He doesn't really want wisdom, he's just dreaming. Another wrong response would be the hater. This one's real clear in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, five, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And then Proverbs 15:10, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. And so this person doesn't just ignore correction, he hates ever being corrected, and so if he's corrected, it's like the biggest deal to him, and he's like got knots in his stomach, and he, can't just, he just can't stop thinking about it, because he hates it. And then finally, the Eeyore. Um, I couldn't come up with a good name for that, but this is the last example, and this is more of an observation again, but maybe Kane's a good example of this one. But this is someone you correct, and they're like, poor me, and, I, and I'm such a failure, and it's like they start beating themselves up over and over. And there are different reasons people do that, um, I'm sure, but one reason sometimes is because it keeps you from pushing them to actually change. So it's like, um, I think you really need to work on this area, and then the person's like, you are so right, and I, I've just been a failure at this my whole life. And, and, and then you're like, okay, I'm not gonna say anything more, because obviously, uh, this person feels this, and then you're not able to get in there to actually help them change. And so as you can see, there's a lot of wrong ways to take correction. Um, and yet some of them are such habits for us that we don't even notice when it's happening. We don't even realize this is my instinctive way to respond to correction. And when we do notice, uh, sometimes we think this, it feels so, it feels like such a strong habit that we're like, is there another way to take correction? Is, is it even possible? 
There is another way, for sure. If, if we're going to have profitable friendships and effective transformation groups, we must, capital must, bold print must, we must learn to take correction well. And that starts with seeing it as valuable. Uh, you can think of how many proverbs are calls to take correction well. Um, it's like the writer's trying to motivate us to value it. Psalm 141.5 is a, a verse that I, I love when it comes to the right attitude towards correction. But Psalm 141.5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Uh, let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. So it's like an honor when someone corrects well. We need to not just re respond to correction poorly. We need to value correction. It's, n it's more than just developing the self-control to sit there with a smile while someone's correcting you and not overreact and then go home and like tell your wife about how dare they. Um, it's actually like valuing correction that we're going for. And uh, again, working through Proverbs, there's lots of reasons why we should value correction. I, I just came up with 14. Uh, if it was my dad, there would probably be 67, so you can be thank you, thank, thankful for just 14. But Proverbs 11, uh, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. So without instruction, I'm actually making failure more likely, and my failure will impact the people around me. I'll just read through these, and then you can look up the verses on your own. But if I really want to demonstrate that I'm smart, it's not by getting angry at the people who correct me and arguing with them, but instead by loving their reproof. Um, the wise man isn't the know-it-all. He's the one who listens to advice. I always say one of the first steps to being the smartest person in the room is knowing you're not the smartest person in the room. Maybe smart's not the best word for that, but at least wisest person in the room. One of the steps to being the wisest person in the room is not thinking you're the wisest person in the room. Sometimes you are the smartest person in the room, I guess. But uh, friends that don't, but there's a difference between smart and, and wise. That's why I say that. But uh, friends that don't care enough about me to help me change don't really love me. They, they hate me. Proverbs 13, 24. The consequences of not having people in my life who will correct me can be very serious. Like, for one, death. Proverbs 15, 10. The idea of one man making a great plan by himself without seeking advice and counsel and carrying out that plan by himself without help from others is a myth. That's a cultural myth I think we, we really buy into, that there's a lot of times if something great happens, there's one guy, and just that one guy somehow by himself knows everything, and he just somehow figures it all out. That's not usually the way any great thing happened, if you look at the actual history of it. Usually there's like... 10 other guys that are involved there. But we just put so much attention on that one guy. Lone Ranger leadership is foolish leadership in the Bible, Proverbs 15, 22. Understanding is much more valuable than having everyone think I'm smart, Proverbs 18, 2. So yeah, sometimes you have to ask yourself, if you do ask questions and you do seek correction, one thing you do have to be aware of is that it's so different in the world, people will think you're, you're stupid or they'll think you are inadequate. That's just one of the realities of living in the world that we live in, is that if you open yourself up to some people to ask for correction or ask for help, they will automatically look down on you. But 
which is more valuable to you, having that person think you're smart or actually understanding? I think actually understanding to a Christian would be more valuable than just the appearance of, of being smart. Even if the person is wrong, it's not going to help the situation move forward if I get angry with them. Uh, Proverbs 19.11. The moment I stop listening to instruction is the moment I begin to walk away from knowledge. Proverbs 19.27. I'm not the only one who needs to be corrected. This is common for all people. I don't need to act like this is such a huge surprise. Proverbs 29. That's one thing you try to teach the kids uh, when they're playing basketball as young as you know, the young kids playing basketball, that if the ref calls a foul on them, they don't have to think like it's a huge failure. Like the ref calls fouls on everybody that's out there who's learning how to play the game. So they don't have to think, oh, I'm so terrible because I got a foul called on me. And sometimes in life, we're a bit, little bit like that when we're corrected. We're like, does nobody else need help? Am I the only one who needs help? No, everybody else <laughs> needs correction as well. It's through painful instruction that God actually changes us. A lot of times, if you look back at your life, it is those moments that you really, really punched you in the gut where there was like significant movement forward. Um, and again, you'll, maybe you could do devotions in these someday. Uh, that feeling where I feel like, and actually look at the Proverbs, but that feeling where I feel like I'm so much smarter than everyone else pretty much proves I'm not, Proverbs 26, 12. Enemies are good at flattering, friends not so much, Proverbs 27, 6. Long term, the person who loves me enough to graciously challenge me will be of even greater benefit than the person who continually ignores the places I need to go, grow, Proverbs 28, 23. And I'm sure we could keep going. There's a lot of genuine value in being corrected. We should want to be corrected, but how do we become people who actually take it well? It starts with the gospel, right? Everything starts with the gospel. And so uh, one of the best articles I've ever read on this subject, it's an article I go back to, I mean, I must have first read it, I don't know, 20 years ago. But I, I, I often go back to this article. It's called The Cross and Criticism. And I, it's a must-read for sure. It's so helpful that I'm going to quote it for a minute here. But he writes, How can we move from always being quick to defend ourselves against any and all criticism toward becoming instead like David who saw it as gain? The answer is through understanding, believing, and affirming all God says about us in the cross of Christ. Specifically, one, in Christ's cross, I agree with God's judgment of me. In response to my sin, the cross has criticized and judged me more intensely, deeply, pervasively, and truly than anyone else ever could. This knowledge permits us to say to all other criticism of us, this is just a fraction of it. So like once you've gone to hell and, and God's, the gospel standing there beside you saying, this is what you deserve for your sin, then somebody else comes up and says, you know, you know your correction wasn't as helpful as possible. It's like, okay, that doesn't, that's not like, that doesn't even compare to what's real. I deserve hell. So, so believing the gospel, so we're, you're connecting the dots, right? When I get so freaked out about you criticizing me, it's an indication I'm not believing the gospel. That's what we have to do. Like the answer is I have to believe the gospel. Like I am a sinner who deserves God's damnation. And God is more important than even this person. In Christ's cross, I agree with God's justification of me. That's second. Pride breeds quarrels, Solomon says. Quarrels are often over who is right. Quarrels erupt in our idolatrous demand for self-justification. So it's good. When you have been corrected, this is a great test for you. When you've been corrected, how much passion do you have in your heart to prove to the other person that you actually did it right? 
that's a good test of how much you want uh, self-justification. Because, you know, it's nice to be able to share to the other person, okay, this is actually okay, but I'm talking about that sort of passion, you know, like I gotta, I gotta do this one more thing so they know I actually knew. Where's that coming from? It's coming, it's not just coming from, hey, um, we gotta get this problem fixed right. That's usually coming from, I need to justify myself for the cross, but, but if, why do we need to justify ourselves if we are justified, ultimately? The cross of Christ reminds me that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, and because of this, God has thoroughly and forever accepted me in Christ. Which most of us would say we believe, yeah, of course, but our response to criticism and correction often denies that. And so how do we get better at taking correction? I got a negative two minutes here, um, but I'm going to give you uh, just a couple ways real quickly. But as I give you those ways, it, you have to remember that it really does begin and end with applying the gospel. This is not about um, manipulation or trying to appear like you're good at taking correction. This is about putting into practice what we believe. But sometimes that takes work and thought because we've got habits that are based on pride rather than the gospel. And so what do we do? Uh, one, if you're going to take correction well, you need to listen to make sure you understand the criticism the person's making. So you want to know what exactly is being corrected. Is it sin or is it a mistake? And if they think it's sin, is it a pattern of sin that they're seeing? Or is it a one-time sin that was so big that they just felt like they needed to talk to you about it? And so obviously it's going to be hard for you to change from a correction if you don't know what they're correcting. If it's a mistake, well, there's one approach I need to take to mistakes. If it's sin, that ramps it up even more. And uh, I need to know, is this a pattern or is this something that's just one time? Two, this goes back, remind yourself as you're being corrected that you're saved by Jesus' work and loved by God who knows more about you than anyone else. So yeah, it's, for a lot of us, it's a little bit painful but remember, God loves you, and this is part of actually how God's showing his love to you, by having this person come to talk to you. Three, watch out for the sin of pride, especially as it's expressed in a superior attitude to the person correcting you. Um, so sometimes we don't benefit from correction because somebody comes to correct you, ding, 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 I'm better than them. How, you know, and this actually gets, even in cultures, it's like culturally ingrained, where like somebody's younger than you, like, how could they talk to me about anything? They're, they're younger than me. Um, and yeah, of course, we want to show respect to people who are older, but that's, we're getting warped if, in our thinking if a younger person can never <laughs> correct us. Um, so watch out for pride that ex gets demonstrated or starts expressing itself in the superior attitude that wells up in your heart. Know that you're going the wrong direction if you're feeling that. And then watch out for that pride that makes correction so personal. This is, this is uh, my thing, you know, that's easy for, to happen to me. But um, when somebody's correcting you about something, they're correcting you about something. But so often we, like, base our whole identity, you know, we make it so incredibly personal that it's just, we're not even talking about the issue anymore. They've corrected you about this, and all of a sudden it's like, 
you know, something totally different than the actual, actually getting better at what they're correcting you about. Um, if you're in a job where you need to be corrected a lot, recognize that uh, there are other people that aren't in jobs like that. So maybe you, by God's grace, have developed the habit of realizing if you're corrected as a doctor, like, of course you have to be corrected as a doctor, otherwise that patient is going to die. It's not about you. But not everybody is in that kind of job, and so it's newer for them, and it's a temptation for them to make it personal, and so you're going to have to be wise about the way that you correct them. But four, help them to correct you by graciously asking questions. So for a lot of people who are correcting, maybe this is different in different cultures, but there are definitely groups of people that don't do a lot of correcting. There's at least a kind of person out there that hates to correct, and they get all worried when they go to correct. So when they come to correct you, you have to think, how do I help them correct me better? <laughs> Not in a sense of, like, I need to correct their correcting, like, oh, uh, please, you know, sit here when you correct me. But, like, um, you want to help get out, you want to help them give you the information that's hard for them to give you so that you can actually change. So you're, like, on their side, in a sense, as they're correcting you. And so you want to know, like, are they simply making a suggestion and they aren't sure about what they're saying? Or is this something that they've thought about for a long time and it sounds like a suggestion, but actually... So there are some people who are so afraid to correct. When they come to correct, they really make it like it sounds like it's not a big deal to them. But it actually is a really big deal to them. It's just that they're so scared to tell you that they're like, you know, they couch it with so many like ifs and maybes and I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And that you, the guys that are really straight have a hard time hearing it. They're like, oh, I don't think that guy said anything. But like that was huge. That person like went home and like, I can't believe I just came after that guy today, and then that guy is like, the other guy goes home, he's like, yeah, I saw Joe for lunch, and he seems like he's doing well. He like, didn't even notice that this is like this big moment in this guy's life. And so when they come, you, if you think, oh, they're making a suggestion, they're hardly saying anything, it can be helpful for you to help them and be like, oh, man, is this something that um, matter? Is this something that se it really is on your heart? Is this something that... Um, yeah, is this something you've been thinking about for a while that you've noticed? And they're like, oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I've really been thinking about this for the past seven months. You're like, oh, wow. Be careful not to reinterpret what they're saying too positively or negatively. So um, some of us are our own biggest fans. And so somebody comes to correct, correct us, and again, we barely hear it because we're, we're always sure we're doing what's right. Some of us are the opposite. We're, we're, we're still our biggest fans, but we, we have a different way that shows up in our life, and that is we interpret what people are saying too negatively. And so uh, they might say, you know, I noticed that you said this one time, and then you hear it, they said, you always are like this every single time since you were a baby. All you do is curse. Like, wow, that was, that's not what that guy said. And it does, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. So you might express how you're hearing what they're saying back to them and then ask is that so I hear you saying this to me right now is that is that what you intend is that what is that what you mean and they're like no I don't mean that you always do that I just mean like this is something that I've seen a couple times come up or they're like no I mean you really are a rude proud guy <laughs> I don't mean you just had a you're like gave me a, a bad impression one time See if there's a, gr a way you can graciously ask them for examples. 
And so this is actually very hard to do well uh, because it can sound like you're defending yourself if you're not careful. And once you start defending yourself, so often the conversation, once the other person thinks you're defending yourself, then they think they have to defend their correction and then you're not even talking about the correction anymore. You're into some weird part of the conversation. So this is really tricky, but on the other hand, sometimes people are so vague in their corrections that it's hard for you to know how to change. So if you go to correct people, it also is helpful to think a little bit, how can I be specific so that they can know how to be... So the goal of correction is not just to make them feel bad. Like that's... And then you go away, they have no idea how to change, but they feel bad. That's called... That's mean. That's just called being unkind. The goal of correction is to help them be different after you had that conversation. And so um, somebody might... You know, if you're being corrected, somebody comes to you and they're like, you need to stop being so proud. And you're like, okay, I want to. Um, but what do you think that would look like for me? What would it look like when you say that I need to stop being so proud? What do you, what do you think it would look like for me to stop being so proud? Otherwise, it's just hard to, it's hard to benefit much from somebody just telling you to stop being proud because you're like, I want to stop being proud. <laughs> I agree with that. I don't know how to be different. But you just have to pray for grace as you ask for those examples. And if you start noticing, wow, this conversation's getting into a weird place, like it, it feels like they feel like I'm attacking them because I'm asking for examples, then you're probably going to have to hit pause and thank them for the correction and think about how you can come back to it, uh, back to it later. Six, oh man, sheesh such a talker, correct me for talking so much, but six, carefully evaluate your life in, whatever, in, in light of whatever scriptural passages they gave, or if they don't give you scriptural passages, think of what principles you may have violated and be willing to repent for any sins you actually committed. Um, so you want to attach it to scripture. Seventh, view this as an opportunity for self-denial and embrace the opportunity to be humbled. So even if they're totally off in, the, like, in their correction, it's still a grace to you because to be humbled is, is a gift from God. So for somebody to misinterpret you is painful, but it's kind of like, yeah, I need humbled, and uh, this is a way God's using it to humble me. Eight, express sorrow for any ways in which the other person has felt pain as a result of your actions. So even if you haven't sinned, uh, you want to make it clear to that person, man, I know this must have hurt you for you to have to bring it up to me, and um, I'm so sorry that it hurt you. This is where I like to keep I'm sorry and please forgive me different in my mind, because I'm sorry I can say to anybody even if they're wrong. Please forgive me, I can't say to anybody even if they're wrong, because uh, please forgive me is saying I have sinned. I'm sorry is more just like I, I'm feeling sadness that you went through this. And I am sad that you went through it. Even if you're totally misinterpreting me, interpreting me or you're wrong about this, I'm sad that you had to go through this. So I'm sorry uh, you can say, even if you, truthfully, even if it's just about something you think that uh, they missed. If you sinned, ask for forgiveness. Um, and we could talk sometime about how to ask for forgiveness. But um, Nine, if you disagree with what's been said, instead of defending yourself at that moment, 
often it's better to just say, um, can I take some time? I really, uh, I hear you, I wanna hear you. This is what I've heard. Can I take some time to think and pray about this? And then you might ask them, could I, would you mind if we seek some outside input on this matter, if it's a big enough issue? And then allow them to suggest somebody you could seek insight from. And so what you don't want to express is, can we seek outside input so that I can prove to you that I'm right? Um, then that's obviously, you're gonna go in a weird direction that's unhelpful, but like, if you're really in a space where you're thinking, I wanna understand, but it's clear, I just can't understand what they're saying, and I, I can see that it's so hard for them to express it to me, maybe we could get somebody else who's connected who could um, help me like be their advocate in a sense. <laughs> that, that might even be a way to say it. Can we find somebody who can be not, yeah, not so that they think they have to defend themselves to you, but like somebody who can help me understand this better. You just have to be careful that you're not belittling someone as you do that. The, the whole goal is to actually be like, I want to change. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get you help in a sense so that your voice can be heard. And uh, I don't just, don't uh, just dismiss this because I don't, understand what you're saying, but if you do that poorly, then it can end up sounding like you're saying, who are you to bring this to me? So you have to think about that. But if there's a way to get outside input where you can help and the other person feels like they, this is not becoming a huge issue when it doesn't need to be. 10, if you do see what they're saying as an area that needs to change, see if you can come up with a plan together for moving toward either thinking more about the issue or actually changing and then express that plan verbally. So if somebody corrects you, then it's good it, to, to, to demonstrate, no, I don't simply want to sit here and be corrected. I actually want to be a different person. You might say, what would you think would be some specific steps I could take towards changing in this area? And then they're like, I don't know, I, I don't know. And then you say, well, ah, man, let me think about some specific steps if you don't, can't come up with any. And then you bring them back to them in like a week and you say, uh, this is, you, you confronted me about this area, I took it seriously, this is the specific steps, the plan that I have towards moving forward in this area. What do you think about that plan? And um, they're like, no, I think you could do this and this. And they're like, okay, thanks. And, and maybe add that to your plan. 11, thank them, <laughs> thank them for loving you enough to correct you. Um, so uh, you want to also, in a sense, um, just encourage them for taking that step of faith. 12, ask them if they would pray for you and then set up a time to follow up with them in a little while. When you get together with them, give them the chance to share how they think you're doing and uh, ways that you can improve. So it's be, you come back and be like, okay, um, do you think I've been working on this? Uh, are there ways that I could work on this better? And um, you know, what other extra corrections have you thought of since last time <laughs> that you weren't able to share that I, can, that I can improve on? And that's a lot, I know, but uh, the fact is for the average person, it's hard to correct, it's hard to be corrected, and yet we have to learn how to do both well if we're gonna have good friendships, and the truth is, that correction can be such a powerful moment in our lives, either for good or bad, and so we want it to be for good. And if, if that's not even just transformation groups, that's family. Like, this is the place where the most correction 
should take place in a sense in the family because these are people who love you the most and um, know you the best. And yet we often take this tool that is used for incredible growth in families and it breaks families up because we either don't know how to give correction well or we don't know how to receive correction well. And that's not surprising because we're sinners and we're proud and we make mistakes and we sin. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way by God's grace. We, especially those of us who are believers, we have the gospel. And uh, the gospel should, should teach us a new way to give correction and a new way to take correction, uh, even in our, in our families and definitely also in our church and with our friendships. And so let's pray uh, that we are people who take correction well. And I will, um, I'm not changing because I keep doing the same thing every uh, week and going too, too long. But I think this is important for our transformation groups. We have about 12 minutes so to just discuss everything in chapter 13, right, Isaiah? I don't know what else to do. Just get in a circle. Uh, I don't know. We could take questions, I suppose. But any thoughts or questions? Or otherwise, we'll go to our groups. Yeah. Oh, he's asking, how do you correct someone who doesn't know what the Bible teaches about correction and claims to be a Christian. So that's helpful because it's a little more specific. Um, and I don't mind being a little vague in the, in the answer to this because Proverbs is, you know, in terms of Proverbs will say, don't answer a fool according to his folly, answer a fool according to his folly. And I think what Proverbs is trying to say is that there's like a kind of wisdom that we need to develop as we live life that is sometimes a little hard to put down into just a list of steps. Um, and so when it comes to someone who is a Christian um, but uh, doesn't know what the Bible teaches about correction, that will take a lot of wisdom and will take more than just like, here are five steps, smile, you know, uh, shake hands, say hello. Um, but at the same time, there probably are some general principles that you know, you can think about. And, and one would be uh, understanding the person. I mean, you're thinking about, is this a person who is often, is he kind of a hard person, very straight? Is this a person who is generally pretty soft? So I'm looking at the kind of person. How do they respond when, if I'm going to correct on a, a, a big personal issue, how do they respond when they're corrected about um, small things? And so that gives me a little insight into the person. And so if they're like a, a softer, you know, the kind of person who is tempted to take things very personally, very quickly, then I know I'm probably going to have to do a lot of work pre-work pre if it's going to be a pretty serious correction, like in terms of um, encouragement. This person's really going to know that, need to know, not just in that moment, but over a course of time that I'm for them. Um, I probably, you know, how important it is, it's all, it's because how important the issue I need to correct them about, what I'm describing takes some work. Um, some, uh, some of it might be if they claim to be a Christian, sitting down and talking about correction, even before I correct, you know, to find a way to think, you know, this is really hard, expressing that it's hard for me, um, it's hard for me to have to talk to you about this, that this is get the, some of that stuff that's inside my brain, outside my mouth, so they can know, because they, they're going to be reading all kinds of things into why you're doing it, so I want to anticipate some of the things they're reading. They're going to be guessing that I'm going to be thinking, like, he hates me, so, no, I, I really I want you to know I love you. He uh, is just doing this because he's annoyed. 
oh, I hate doing, I don't really like coming to you about this, and certainly uh, it's not because I just want you to do things my way, but I, 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 I feel compelled um, and kind of talk to you a little bit about why I feel like we need to talk about this. Um, it will need follow-up, you know, in terms of coming back. Uh, it might need me to say, how are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, uh, and if you start hearing them go off, then you're thinking, okay, I need to, I need to find other ways. Instead of just saying what I just said louder, <laughs> I need to find other ways to communicate this because clearly this way of communicating is not working at this point. Recognizing that, yeah, uh, how we respond to correction ultimately long-term eh, long is indication of whether we're wise or foolish, so it might be that I am giving the correction as graciously as I can and honoring God. That's my first goal is to honor God, not just make the guy happy with me at the end of the correction. So it might be this is revealing more about their heart than, um, than, than the way I'm correcting. It, I, trying not to become a mirror. So what we usually do is we mirror the way that person is responding to us. So they're taking it all personal, we get personal. They're getting worked up, we get worked up. So really praying as I go into the correction time of correcting that I wouldn't be a mirror of their behavior but that I would show them Christ's love and be able to have enough self-control in the middle of, of that. Uh, probably yeah, long-term coming back to them, you know, and asking, how are we doing? Is there any way I could have done that better? Um, seeing if there's times where you can receive correction from them um, and thanking them for it. Uh, letting, letting them know that you're, you're open to them correcting you. Um, even as you correct, sometimes you, you, you know, this is harder with guys who need you to be so straight that you almost feel like sometimes when guys need you to be so straight, it feels like you have to become a fool to talk to them. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know everything. But the only way you'll hear me say it is if I say it in such a way that I'm talking like I know everything. So that, that is challenging with guys like that. But with other guys, you can be more like, um, this is the way I'm, ex I'm, I'm ex seeing this. Am I seeing it wrong? Is there, is there another way? Can you give me a better interpretation of what's happening? What, what details am I missing? And then they'll be able to see, okay, this guy isn't just correcting me as if he knows everything, but he is uh, wanting my input in it. But it's hard. It that's why I guess Proverbs is like about wisdom. It's like this life developing this um, art of being most helpful to people. I'm glad that we have the Spirit of God and that ultimately um, it's not really about technique, um, it's about serving, a, it's about honoring God and, and, and trusting that God can work through his word and his spirit even if we do it poorly, you know, um, but we don't want to do it poorly, but even if we do, God, we have hope that God, so sometimes you think about technique, but beyond the technique, you think more like, Lord, please help me to really love this person. <laughs> Please help me to really pray for this person because sometimes it can be so easy to get wrapped up in, I have to say this with just the right tone of voice and at just the right time that you put so much pressure as if you were the guy that ultimately could say it's just right and they'll hear you. And uh, that's, that's not how people change fundamentally. Any other questions?
Right. So there is, is there a difference between uh, a godly confrontation and an accusation that comes from nowhere? Um, yes. <laughs> so that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, even Jesus was, people said all kinds of things about Jesus, and they definitely came from nowhere. Now, of course, we're not Jesus, so um, that, in a sense, helps me when somebody comes to me, is that even if it feels like it's coming from nowhere, it might still come from somewhere. You know, like, I'm, I, I don't see myself as accurately as I think I do. And so even if it comes from nowhere, it is an opportunity sometimes for me to just get another angle on how people perceive me, um, and that's helpful. Uh, it can be helpful even if they're wrong. You know, this is how people wrongly perceive me, and I need to be aware, <laughs> aware of that. Um, is there a difference in the way that we respond? Well, I don't know. so even if someone is accusing you wrongly, um, that is an opportunity for you to honor God, and it's a it's an opportunity for you to glorify Jesus by uh, showing a different way of responding, the way the gospel impacts wrong accusations, the way a person responds to wrong accusations. So um, initially, for some of us, it's, it can be hard to, to tell the difference between a godly accusation and one that's coming from nowhere just because we're so proud. So for some of us, almost every correction feels like it's coming from nowhere because uh, we just consistently think that we're doing awesome. And so uh, we probably have to slow down <laughs> and be like before that, we need to gather more information. Um, sometimes people are wrong and right, so sometimes they're correcting us about something and they're off on our motivations or they're off on the actual issue, but there's stuff in there that I can learn from. And so I don't need to get so distracted by the stuff that they're getting wrong. I can also look for what they're getting right that would be helpful for me to grow. Um, yeah. So like saying, please read this chapter and then coming to the Sunday school week after week where you don't get a chance to read it. Um, it might be wrong to say, oh, you're so, you know, well, this or that, but it might be right to say, hey, think about the way you do this next time where I'm <laughs> taking over. So next time, maybe we'll just do the whole chapter, the whole time discussing, because obviously that would be a good plan for me getting better, because once I get up here, I'm not doing so well. Uh, well right. Counsel for those uh, whose children's pride tends to show up in hating correction Obviously, stubbornness. Yeah, it's good. I like the way you asked that question because it's really important to remember that, like, pride is a sneaky fella. And so he wears a lot of different costumes. And sometimes some of the most proud people are people that you wouldn't think are proud at all because they've really figured out how to, you know, what to dress up so that people don't correct them on their pride. <laughs> um, so, yeah, how do you correct, uh, especially? Um, just obviously yeah, it's like flowing, flowing out. Yeah, uh, I guess we need to talk more about how does that pride show up? Does it show up in them like arguing with you when you're trying to correct them? Does it show up with them 
you know, getting angry at you. So part of what you're trying to do with your kids, you know, that's what's is they need to learn how to take correction well. That is a life skill that is essential. And so, uh, yeah, some of the things that you would want to do is teach them how not to argue. Uh, some one thing you always have to ask is, am I show, what example am I giving them of how to take correction? Because they, they come out of the womb, you know, they don't know stuff, except for folly. So it's not like surprising that they're foolish. And uh, they're going to go their foolish way unless they are taught with words, but they're also shown a different way, like over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so um, it might be that you need to ask, am I showing them a different way? Um, some kids are just oblivious, so you might need to point out to them graciously that you're showing them a different way. <laughs> so you watch what dad's doing now. Do you see, do you see how I'm trying not to argue with you right now? And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. You might want to do that later in a different, uh, different setting. Um, Role-playing at the table when it's not the moment. This is how we take correction. Obviously, ultimately, I mean, it's got to be the gospel and looking for opportunities because that anger at correction is displaying. It's a great opportunity to say, look, you're being helped and you hate the person who helps you. How, how broken is that? You need a savior. So do I, you know. Um, but, yeah, you'd have to think more specific, specifically. But certainly, uh, without becoming that dad who's like, whatever I say, nobody can ever disagree with me. That's wrong, but at the same time, it's true that children need to learn how to respect their parents as a habit. Being a dad parent is work, isn't it, Shu? All right, guys, thank you for your patience, patience with me. <laughs>